0: And of course, the final chapter of the chapter six of the book of Ephesians is of great value and of great importance because it's very specific um, regarding its instruction as to how we are to handle ourselves in terms of the spiritual battle that we are engaged in. Are you aware of the fact that there is a spiritual battle? Okay, good. I'm presuming that you probably are. If you're living for the Lord, if you're wanting to live the way God wants you to live, you're going to get some noise. And you're going to get some stuff from the adversary of your soul. And uh, and chapter six is all about how do we actually do that. The title of the message this morning is "Put on the whole armor of God." But we're probably not going to get there in terms of putting on the whole armor of God. We put on some of the armor of God, and we'll complete the project next week but this is uh, what I want to do is bring us back into this teaching and kind of ramp us up to the sixth chapter because in the sixth chapter in verse 10 he says finally my beloved brethren so he's kind of like this is right Joe he's kind of topping it all off it's like boom 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 all these things have been laid out for us in the course of his presentation in the book of Ephesians and then he gets that last chapter and he says finally my beloved brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore is his whole beginning point or his whole admonition the um, I was listening to uh, one guy preach this message and he brought up a great point have you ever watched Let's say, you know, I'll bring up a football game since we're still kind of close to that season. Have you ever watched a football game? It was your team, but you already knew the outcome of the game because you already heard the scores, but you didn't see the game. You couldn't see the game. Who knows? Maybe, you know, you were somewhere where you had to be and you just weren't able to, to see the game. But you, know how, you knew how the game turned out. Um, and then the game came back up. It was like a replay or rerun on the NFL channel or something like that. So you had a chance to watch the game. But when you watch the game under those circumstances, it takes a great deal of the agita out of the mix, right? It takes a whole lot of the anxiety. You're still cognizant of the interceptions or the fumbles or the sacks or the turnovers or the touchdowns or all this stuff, but it just doesn't impact you quite in the same way that it does if you're watching the game live. When you're watching it live, it's like, (gasps) Right? It's, it's full tilt emotion. But when you already know the outcome, well, you're kind of like, all right, yeah, he fumbled the ball, but I know how this is going to play out. I know this, how, how this is going to work. Well, <clears throat> in a real way, that's the, that's the feeling that Paul is writing to these people to share with them that what's your job is, is to stand But your job is to not be not blink, not be pushed off, not be moved away. Because it says if you and I will stand having the armor of God on, guess who will guess who will blink? The enemy will blink. Right. And so it's it's kind of like if if you if you know the book, we win. So he's fighting a losing battle. And that's what's important that we would realize in terms of this spiritual contest, in terms of the spiritual warfare that is part of our life in Christ, it is important to be confident of the fact that we win. We always win. God works all things together for good to those who love him who are the called according to his purpose. If you win when you lose, how can you lose? and even when you lose you win in Christ because God is working all things together for good to those for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose okay so whatever goes on God has predestined you to be triumphant predestined you to be a victor predestined you to be a winner and there's nothing the devil can do to stop that except come up and go face to face with you and intimidate you. And I think part of whats what I'm thinking about and what is kind of making me think about this is we're watching what's going on on the other side of the world. And it's big time intimidation, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of things under under the radar here in terms of what really is happening here and what's driving this whole thing I was amazed when I got into the whole psychology of Vladimir Putin and what's driving him and his concept of Russia Maybe we will talk about that a little bit next week because there's a lot of religion in there right there is a lot of religion in this mix and a lot of that is what's kind of motivating him. But what what's happening there in the long run, what we have is a major act of intimidation. Right? And we're watching how that is affecting a whole nation right now. Well that's the devil's game plan too. His game plan is to intimidate you so that you'll sit down, shut up, and stop being the person that God is calling you to be. But in response to that, here is this passage of scripture that says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Anybody ever had, anybody ever encountered the evil day? I was trying to think, like, probably in the course of maybe 40 years, 40 some odd years being a believer, and most of that time being in ministry, we've seen a few evil days. Maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, I mean, it's not every day. Not every day is the evil day. But things there are there are situations and things that come along, and the devil just wants to exploit those things. It can be fear, intimidation, discouragement, heartbreak, loss, some aspect of something that that um, that we are uh, hurting over, and and it's in those in those settings that the devil wants to come in and like make his move, back you off, take you out. Make you fearful and afraid, and so that's why we want to get into this whole thing. We don't want to not um, cover the sixth chapter of the letter to of Paul to the uh, people at Ephesus, but um, it's going to take. Because what I want to do here is just go back and gather all of the stuff. Chapter one, two, three, four, five, six. If you remember, um, we did note that there was a division between in, in the book itself between 3 and 4 chapter 3 and chapter 4 1 through 3 is doctrinal it tell us tells us all of the amazing things that God has made available for us at, through Christ and so there's a there's a whole lot of, of lot to be learned in the first three chapters and then chapters 4 through 6 well that's all about practical application what do I really do with this you know and and how, how do I actually live this thing out and and, and a major aspect of that practical side is to be able to stand in the evil day. Is to be able to stand your ground and not let the devil intimidate you or push you out of the mix. Because if he can do that, he wins. He can, he, he can sideline you. An important aspect of this too is that um, <clears throat> God has given the equipment, but He doesn't put it on you. Right? That's why He says to you and I, put on the whole armor of God so God doesn't put this on you this helmet of salvation feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace sword of the spirit breastplate of righteousness the uh, the, the the girdle of truth or the belt of truth all these different aspects and and I'm hoping yeah I have of, I've often felt that it's it's easy to get caught up in the in the actual pieces of armor and to forget that pieces of armor are only metaphors. They're just symbols for the real thing, right? So if we if we think about the shield, okay, and how the shield will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and how the Roman soldiers held up their shield, and their shield was covered with... Um, animal skins and the animal skins were all, you know. I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of detail, but we might just lose the fact that we've got a saying: "Is like put your faith out and put it up there somewhere." And when you're start, when you feel like you're being bombarded with lies and falsehood, and, mis, and 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 fake news and wrong understandings of things, that's when you hold up that faith that you have, which is typified by a shield, which will protect you. If you, if you let your faith be out front. So anyway, we want to make sure that we don't miss the forest for the trees, as it were. And so here we go. Now, um, having, having or going back to this, it's important because this, this is really how believers are to pursue a successful, a victorious, an overcoming life. God calls us to be overcomers. Can I get an amen on that? Right, God calls us to him that overcomes. If you read, the book, read through the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, there seven different churches, seven different churches, kind of de- seven different pictures of what the church may look like at any given point. But in every case, the Lord says to him that overcomes, "I will grant to sit on my throne, even, if I, even as I overcame and now have been granted to be able to sit at my Father's throne." And for each for him, for him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. And so, so there are all, all kinds of, of promises, but those promises are all to overcomers. you Are going to be an overcomer? Yes. All right. To be an overcomer, you need to know this passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 6. Because in this, he talks about engaging and standing and being victorious in the face of the uh, opposition uh, of the adversary. So, <clears throat> that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Are you with me? Shall we do that? Okay, good. So, for the purpose of regaining our understanding, because again, this is all cumulative. It's all building, 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 all the way up to chapter six, and when he finally says, "Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're going to take a walk back. <clears throat> in chapter one, we learned that because we have come to faith in Christ, we are no longer in Adam, but we are now in Christ. Let's take a moment. And let's present this, uh, this time and present ourselves to the Lord and ask him to take this word and just plant it deep in our spirit. Father God, we thank you that we can be together here this morning. I want to thank you for everybody who's here with us, the effort that was made to be here this morning. It isn't easy to gather ourselves together, maybe gather the kids together and get everybody here But we thank you that so many have made the effort this morning to do that. And we pray, Lord, that your blessing will be upon this word as it is presented this morning and that it will be more than just another sermon, but it will be something that equips and strengthens and motivates us, refines our understanding, um, gives us wisdom and and vision and understanding um, to be able to successfully walk this walk you. So we thank you for this place. Thank you for this time. Thank you for everybody that's here and Lord we pray Holy Spirit that you will just go work through these words and and build us up and strengthen us even as that passage says to be strengthened in our relationship with you. So lead us, direct us, move upon this word and bless it this morning we pray in Jesus name. And everybody said. All right. Good. <clears throat> So, we learned that in coming to faith, the, 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 if, if you needed two words, and you probably will remember this, because we made, I made such a thing about it in, when I was preaching this, that there's a prepositional phrase in the first chapter of this, um, of this letter. And if you remember the prepositional phrase, well, first of all, you have to remember what a prepositional phrase actually is. You know, I'm presuming I'm that's not too far gone for most of us here today. But a prepos- there's a little prepositional phrase that if you remember it, you got the whole first chapter, more or less. That prepositional phrase is, in him or in Christ. Good, right? In him, like if, as you read through that first chapter over and over and over you you hear that little prepositional phrase being used in Him, in Christ. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, we have been accepted in the Beloved. This 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 whole thing is it talks about what we now have because we are in Christ. And the best way to understand what it means to be in Christ is to compare it or contrast it with what it meant to be in Adam. The Bible talks about what it means in Adam scripture says all die what it means to be in Adam is simply it means to be a human being we are descendants we're the children of Adam and Eve but unfortunately there has been a curse on us that goes all the way back to the transgressions of our first parents and so a curse has followed and there is no getting around that thing in Adam we are cursed we are condemned we are convicted we are judged we are lost in Adam we are just simply hopelessly lost and the interesting contrast is that in the same way now you might you might be thinking that's not fair that's not fair why should I be lost because Adam messed up if Adam sinned, how come it wasn't okay so Adam deals with his punishment and that's that why should I be affected by the sin of someone that long ago but that's just the way it works in the economy of God everything is generational in the economy of God everything is, is passed down from generation to generation and since we are the children of Adam in the natural sense we have picked up all of the bad stuff that Adam is guilty of <clears throat> so we are under condemnation, alienated from God, spiritual orphans, wandering around, lost, hopelessly lost, trying to figure out who we are, why we are here, and what's happening when we leave this planet. And we don't have any really solid answers outside, of, of course, of the Word of God. Outside of being in Christ, we don't have any answers for that. So in this first chapter, um, Paul describes all the things that now have become ours because we are now no longer in Adam but we are in Christ the 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 beauty of the picture is that in Adam we picked up all the all the bad stuff and so we are guilty sinners before God and there's nothing we can do about that we are just hopelessly lost and condemned before God but the good news is that in Christ we pick up all the trophies because he earned all the trophies because he never sinned because he fulfilled Every covenant, because he fulfilled every promise that God ever made, all the things that God ever had. That's why scripture says, In him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. In him, all the promises of God are yes and amen, because Christ was perfectly obedient, and so all of the things that God promised were always on a condition. The condition is, If you do what I'm asking you to do, if you live that way, you'll be blessed when you go out. You'll be blessed when you come in. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed in your home. In every way, God's blessing will overshadow. But if not, then the curse will overshadow. And so, Christ was faithful in everything that He did, a faithful son in the house of God. And so He picks up all of the blessings. So in Him, all the all the blessings or all the promises of God are yes and amen so when a person becomes a believer in Christ we experience a supernatural miraculous transformation a hold our whole reality changes we are no longer in Christ because in Christ we have just simply we have to acknowledge we're just sinners lost hopelessly and hopeless before God but in Christ we now are saved we are reconciled we are redeemed we are forgiven all of these blessings that uh, that he shares with us in the first chapter so here's how it begins and you'll probably remember this oh, Ephesians chapter 6 10 through 20 here's how the first chapter begins with this was our memory verse so you I'm sure have this one tucked away somewhere blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ there it is okay right off the bat third verse of this chapter who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Heavenly places is is also a big um, theme in this letter, this idea. this, This letter is opening to us the spiritual reality that stands behind the natural, physical, visible world. There's an invisible spiritual reality that is more important than the visible physical reality that we are passing through. That behind all of this, there's a whole nother level of stuff that's going on. And that's what this letter, particularly the sixth chapter of this letter, opens up to us is what this how how this um, other realm operates and how we can be successful in it. So it starts off by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places we are no longer in Adam we are no longer under the curse which came upon Adam as a result of his disobedience we are no longer alienated from god we are no longer under condemnation you got to get that in your head you know many many believers walk around under condemnation all the time for every little thing that goes wrong and yet in reality all of that has been done away with not because i now am a perfect person it's because i am now a new creation the old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. I am a new creation in Christ, and because I'm a new creation in Christ, I don't have any record of the old guy, because the old guy is gone. Hallelujah. Now, he tries to show up every once in a while. You know, tries to find his way back in, and we smack him around a little bit. Actually, that's kind of consistent with Paul says. I beat my body and keep, my, keep it under, lest after preaching to other people I myself might become a castaway. Anyway, we're no longer in Adam. We're no longer alienated. We're no longer under condemnation. And chapter in, uh, 1 informs us that we were chosen by God to become his children. If you are a believer, you were chosen by God to become his child before the foundation of the world that's pretty far out right another in other words before there was a world before there was a universe for anything God already had you I don't I can't comprehend this I can't grasp this in any way but it is certainly what scripture says that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world okay in Christ we have redemption through His blood, we've been redeemed. We've been purchased by Christ and by the blood of Christ, back for God. In Christ, we are forgiven. Our sins have been dealt with. They have, and they are now forgiven. Our sins have not just been brushed away. They have been paid in full. So when you and I walk around living under guilt and condemnation, what we are essentially doing is um, disrespecting the blood of Christ. That's true. When, when we when we allow ourselves to get under this yoke or this whole thing of condemnation, we are disrespecting the cleansing of the blood of Christ. Now, it seems very natural because we know we've done wrong. We know we've been, you know, whatever it may happen to be. So uh, it, it's kind of a very natural thing if you've done something that you're not particularly pleased with having done as you feel bad about it. But in fact, like, it doesn't exist anymore. It's not a matter to be... Uh, it's not a matter to be troubled over it is something to say okay that was the old man but I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus so everything that is going on in our life now is a brand new thing we're forgiven sins dealt with paid in full paid in full in Christ God has made known to us the mystery of his will still chapter 1 The mystery of his will is that according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, all things in heaven, all things under the earth. In other words, you happen to be in on the ground floor of the great plan of God who is pulling everything back together. The thing blew up and was and was blown up from the get go. And it had left us all kind of like alienated, not only from God, but from each other and scattered all over the place. But now, through Christ, God is bringing people back to himself, bringing people back to himself, granting and giving forgiveness and a brand new nature to be able to be reconciled now to God. That's the heart of the deal, as I would imagine you know. So, <clears throat> in Christ, God has made known to us the mystery of his will, that he's pulling it all back together. He's drawing it all back into himself. And that's what God is working, or that's that's a major part of how God is working in you. In Christ we have obtained, Scripture says, an eternal inheritance, which we will share with Christ. We actually are spoken of as um, joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, which means that he will not come into his inheritance until he comes into it with us. What a wild thought. What an amazing thing. What is his inheritance? Well, that comes up in that first chapter too, because it says there are three things really that God wants us to be aware of. What is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceedingly, exceeding greatness of his power expressed toward us who believe? That power, he says, is like the mighty power that he exercised when he raised Christ from the dead. That kind of power is at work in us. As a matter of fact, that's exactly the nature of the power that is at work in us because, as chapter 2 will tell us, but you who were dead in transgressions, trespasses, and sins, you he made alive together in Christ. So we'll get there in just a minute. But that whole thing that what God is working is the same kind of power that took Jesus from being a corpse completely dead and brought him back out of that grave. That's what God is doing in you and I. He he, he has put new life in us, and if we are on board for the ride, if we are cooperative with the whole plan and with the purpose, then God is building up and strengthening and raising up this new life in us because that new life is the eternal life, which is the gift of God. So we have obtained an eternal inheritance. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the active working agent who brings the realization and the understanding of everything that God is doing into personally into our lives. Here's how it's phrased in the book of First Corinthians. Great uh, passage of Scripture says But as it is written, I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared. For those who love Him, and you might think, "Well, gee, what what good is that if no one has seen it, no one's thought it, no one's heard it, no one's imagined it yet?" But He goes on to say, "But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit," and goes on to talk about the important Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. That's a whole second chapter of the book of First Corinthians. But the whole point being that um, right now, how the the thing that God is working out in our life. Is, or, or the thing that God is bringing to us through the Spirit is the revelation or the understanding of the things that he wants to accomplish in our life we, we chapter 2 reminds us that we are his workmanship we're his poema created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance that we should walk in them do you know that God's got your whole life figured out for you do you get frustrated with your with, your, with trying to figure out your life <laughs> huh yes right God's got, you don't have to, you'd have to sweat it out. You don't have to fret about the whole thing because God is in control. And if you will just do one thing, here's the secret to gigantic spirituality. Are you ready? Okay. You're in, you're in your vehicle, okay? And you're behind the wheel. And what you do is take your hands off the wheel and slide over. Let Jesus drive for a while. And if you let him drive, now, it's, it'll make you a little crazy because he doesn't always go where you think he ought to go. Lord, make a left up there, please. Right? We, I want to be the guy that kind of tells the Lord. I'll let him drive the car as long as I can tell him where to drive it. Right? I'll, 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 I'll go that far. But the reality is if we will let the Lord drive the car and not freak out over the setbacks, over the things that just don't seem to be going the way that I want, if we just leave it alone and let God work and just purpose to have a Christ-like attitude through it all, purpose to have an attitude of faith and, and a confident spirit that though things may seem a little hairy and a little nutty and a little crazy at different times, that God hasn't abandoned me, God will never forsake me, God knows what He's doing and He's working things out and He's always right on time. Oh, that's some good preaching, Pastor Steve. Jeez. I might as well quit right now. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay, the entirety of all of this, of what God is working in our life, is kind of, it's all condensed and crammed into one verse of I don't know maybe twelve words or something like that, okay. Packed it all in in Second Corinthians chapter five where Paul says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So all of this is being accomplished through the working of the Spirit, who is, um, who is revealing to us according to that passage in 1st 1 Corinthians the things that our eye has never seen that our heart ear has never heard that our heart has never imagined but he is revealing those things to show us uh, what he has for us in in life. So Paul prays that God at the uh, at the at the end of that first or nearly the end of that first chapter Paul prays that God will give to believers give to those people at Ephesus but of course to you and to me. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. All of this stuff is like so filled with, with insight and, under, and 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 wisdom that it's almost kind of like you, you. It's hard to move away. Just like you know, just say that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and then just move on. It's like, do we realize like how powerful that is? That God will give to us the spirit. Of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him in other words the more we know the more we understand and learn who Jesus is there's revelation there's insight there's understanding and knowledge as to how life is supposed to be because I'm supposed to be like him my God's goal in my life is to make me like him that's the whole project that's the whole that's the whole game right there is to become more like Christ so Paul prays that God will give to those people the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he prays that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened, that we will know specifically three things which I've already mentioned. What is the hope to which he has called us? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? What is the riches is, are? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Here's what he here's how we build on that uh, that idea that power is like the power he demonstrated when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority power and dominion and gave him a name that is above every a- name not only in this age but also in the age to come all of that right now is ours because we are in Christ praise the lord but just so that we wouldn't forget who we were and where we came from, Paul takes us when we get into chapter 2 and talks about the fact that this is a process that is originated, is maintained, and will be brought to completion by God alone. In other words, this is not something that is within your power, this is happening to you. You are the object of this action. This is a passive concept you are not the subject of the action the doer of the action you are the object of the action or the receiver of the action and the action is God working in you which is another verse which comes up in the third chapter he says therefore just as you have always obeyed in my presence, so now also in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you causing you both to will and to do the things that are pleasing in his sight That's an incredible verse of Scripture, right? For it work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's working in you, causing you to will and to do those things which are consistent with His purpose for your life. So in chapter 2, he brings us back to the, the ugly reality of who we were before God got a hold of our lives. He says this, living in willful, shameless disobedience, following merrily along in the course of this present, fallen, evil world, never even realizing that the whole thing was marching to the tune of the devil himself that the devil was the piper who's playing the tune and everybody's just kind of going along and basically living life and being a copy of another person and never realizing that the guy who is in charge of this whole thing is the enemy of God himself. Who, we are told in the second chapter, is the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, the spirit that now rules in the hearts of those who are disobedient to God. Never even realizing that, just going along thinking I'm just living, I'm just trying to do my thing, I'm just trying to find my way, I'm just trying to make way in this world, not realizing that without Christ, is just it's kinda of like they say, in Christ there is an endless hope. Without Christ it's a hopeless end. And what actually happens is without Christ this whole thing becomes a hopeless end. <clears throat> so here's what he says. Here's how he places all that. And you were dead in trespasses and sins and once you in which you once walked Following the course of this world, that's important to be mindful of the fact that the course of this world, the natural outworking of the direction of this world is a demonic deception from the get-go. That everything that this world holds that has so much allure and so much interest and seems so important and seems like I gotta have that, all of this whole world is nothing but a facade. A hollow promise. An empty, worthless pursuit of junk. Depressed, yet. But that's God wants us to know that because so as to not get caught up in the foolishness of it, in the emptiness of it, to not get caught up in 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 just the whole um, thing. That is just. The way everybody all around us lives and when you when you watch the way the world lives and what's the things that it's after you look at it and you think I guess that's just life. I guess this is normal life and that and that was the conclusion that we all drew but in reality we're all being sucked down into the rabbit hole but Paul turns the corner, so he says, "You were dead in transgressions and sins, which you once walked according to the course of this world. All of that, right? But we get to that passage. And I remember just doing this as a message. But God, but God, God who is rich in mercy. Let's take a look at it. I don't know if you can see. Yeah, but God who is rich in mercy, even while, um, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses." made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So yes, we were lost, we were dead, we were going down a going down a, a dark road and ha- on our way to, to destruction, but God, who was rich in mercy... Pulled us out of all of that, and and he's and it's very important for Paul. Twice in the second chapter, he wants to let us know that this is not something that is originates in us. He says twice, "By grace you have been saved," and second time he adds something to it: "By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast." So this whole thing, the conclusion of all of this is that I should be so blown away that I got the golden ticket. That I I, inher- I, got, I won the lottery. In a world full of people who are lost, somehow or another I'm not lost anymore. Somehow or another I have come into the knowledge of who God really is and what He's up to and what He's done for me and what that means for me and how that's to be applied. I got the golden ticket. You have the golden ticket. So sometimes, you know, if if we get into this kind of mode where we're feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling like we don't have any hope, that's baloney. Okay? We always have hope because we serve a living God who's never out of options. He's never out of resources. He's never short of answers. He's never, like, wringing his hands and going, I have no idea what to do now with this guy. Right? He's never frustrated. He always has an unlimited number of possible answers. Think of that, like not one, but probably like more than you could ever imagine, more than we could think or ask. Anyway, that's that's the kind of understanding, that's the kind of psychology, psychological framework that uh, we are to live in. God, who is rich in mercy, that uh, raised us up and seated us together with Christ in the heavenly places, that means I'm over it. I'm over the top of every other thing in this world every everything that is rule authority power based all of this and of course he raises this whole thing up this this idea of the principalities powers rulers of the spiritual darkness of this present age. brings all that out so that we would be aware of the fact that there's a whole other realm of things going on down here and it's important for us to be equipped and ready to ready to encounter um, that that whole reality then as chapter 2 closes, Paul reinforces our new identity, talks about this great mystery that is uh, that, that he has discovered and that great mystery now is that, God, that, that people who have come who were formerly pagans, formerly sinners, formerly um, guilty of doing all kinds of foul, vile, wicked things and now have come to Christ, he says all of those things. Now, uh, those people have now been welcomed into the very household of God. They have been forgiven, they've just been brought in, and they are at the same par. because again, if you remember, there was a whole thing about the Jews feeling as though you had to become a Jew first, then you could actually become a Christian. And Paul says, nope, everybody now becomes a Christian simply through simple faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, the next passage, just to bring to your attention, where he says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then, I just want to go through because uh, kind of uh, running out of time here. And then, then he offers this prayer in chapter 3. He says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father from whom the whole from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, have may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So He's taken us through a whole course of instruction. He's taken us tell us what it is in Christ, tell us where we came from before we were in Christ, and then the mystery that God has now made us full. Members of this new household that he's creating, and of course, in chapter four, he starts talking about how we are to apply all of this, and that you would no longer lie to one another, that you would no longer defraud one another, that you would no longer cheat one another, but you would speak the truth and all of this. And it, and it trickles on down all the way to the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 where he's talking about how husbands ought to treat their wives. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. And so it, this has been a whole series of teachings, but now it's about to culminate because if, you're, if all this stuff is in you and you, are, and you are walking in faith with all of this, guess what? You're going, to be, you're going to have a target on your back because you're dangerous. You're dangerous to the plan and program of the devil. And so he will look for ways to see, if possible, he can just sit you down, shut you up, intimidate you, and push you out of the picture. And that's where we get to Ephesians chapter 6 where he says, finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord or be strengthened in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore with the girdle of truth and with the breastplate of righteousness and with the sword of the spirit with the helmet of salvation we'll talk about all that next week but it but it is important that you and I have every one of those aspects like in play in order to be prepared to be able to fight this spiritual and win. Okay, God wants us to win. God wants us to overcome. And we can if we are clad in the armor of God.